Right, welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Kuma. Join me to take your questions this evening are Mark Detoy from Oyster Catcher Investments and Rikas Riedis from PSG Wealth Remsig. Do send those questions via SMS to 41392, email us at stockwatch uh, at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thanks so much, gentlemen, for your time. Uh, let's start off with macro. Of course, the market's really anticipating that speech um, that's said to be given by Fed Chair Jerome Powell tonight uh, at the Economic Club of Washington really comes at uh, quite an interesting time there. Uh, starting with you, Mark, uh, what will you be looking out for in those comments? Well, I mean, uh, it's always interesting to hear the language that uh, Jerome Powell will use. I mean, for us, we are more bottom-up stock, stock pickers, so, I mean, we do look at the macro view, but for us, it's more about the valuation of individual companies. Mm -hmm. But what drives that valuation are, is the, the, the interest rates ultimately. And so the market is going to want to know at what point do we think that the rate hiking cycle is going to stop? And then the next question is, at what point will the rate cutting cycle start? So currently at the moment, I mean, we have, I mean I've been reading a lot of news that says maybe the rate cutting cycle starts as, as soon as the end of this year, sort of. Q4 2023, but we think that um, the Fed will be um, have to keep interest rates higher for a bit longer, and to keep our, to keep the economy tight. And uh, so I think that you know the interest rates will be higher for longer, um, and then that's kind of our view that we plug into our models. Yeah, Rickus is a pal between a rock and a hard place here because. It seems that he's expected to take on a dovish stance, but at the same time, he's still under pressure to increase those interest rates to tame inflation. Of course, we're seeing the labor market still very strong. Yeah, he's um, in the sense that real wage growth is actually declining and, and, he's, and, he's, and he's pushing interest rates in order to get um, um, employment down. So um, it's an economy. But... The fact is that he has to um, stay on this road um, unless he wants to have inflation sort of run away with him. And I and I agree with Mark's view. It's um, it's probably going to stay higher for longer. And um, obviously, the outlook as to you know how deep your recession in America is going to be, if there is going to be a recession at all, for example, or if it only starts next year. So it is at the moment quite uncertain as to what's going to happen. But I think one thing that's not going to change is Paul's caution going forward and also the watchful eye that is going to keep on financial markets in order um, to not let financial markets dictate his cause. Yeah. Um, Mark, just um, give us a rundown of how you were looking at the JSC today, uh, because it really seemed like it was struggling for direction. I think it was down on the day 0.06%. We did see the industrials and the financials under pressure, but uh, backing the overall trend, you had the resources uh, 10 complex uh, ending off the day in the green. So how, what did you make of today's trading day? Yeah, a mixed day today. Um, Kind of the the short term 
moves are difficult to call, but I mean, we have seen PJ miners come under pressure previous few days, so they seem to be um, a, a bit of a reversal in trend there. Um, and then, I mean, I guess the, the story so far this year has been the big run-up in anything that's related to China, and the idea being that China is now going to relax COVID and the economy is going to open up again. So we've seen the things, are, you know, Nasdaq um, falling on 10 cents, and um, rich funds, and then the, the the mining stocks that that are um, sort of base uh, metal miners, so iron ore and uh, copper, um, the stuff that's used in the in the Chinese property markets. So all those stocks have run hard in January, um, and now the market's kind of pausing, and uh, we wait to see what kind of stimulus is coming out of China. They've got their March. Um, uh, policy meeting where they will announce uh, what kind of stimulus package they're going to they're going to embark on this year and uh, I mean the market's kind of waiting to digest um, that and then of course the big the big uh, one is the interest rates in the US yeah let's actually talk about copper uh, quite a lot of excitement since the beginning of the year there and I was actually supposed to have a conversation with the CEO of copper 360 that's set to list on the JSC's alt X board later on this month we're hoping to have that conversation with him tomorrow as we struggle to get a hold of him but uh, Rickus um, the first pure copper play on the JSC um, uh, does that uh, instill some kind of excitement in you considering um, the dynamics on supply and demand on copper right now? Um, yeah, I must admit I know nothing about the listing itself, but as far as copper fundamentals are concerned, a lot of that in the short term hinges, as Mark said, on um, what kind of recovery we're we going to get in China as a result of the lifting of the COVID restrictions. And secondly, what kind of market policy um, Xi Jinping is going to um, institute going forward, whether it's going to be, shall we say, market-friendly or, or, or just according to his dic dictat. But longer term, specifically with the move into um, um, electric vehicles and related type of industries, I think the demand for copper is pretty much there and the supply, um, although there is production coming on stream, it's, it is going to be limited because there's not a lot of you know, brownfield stuff coming into production immediately. Hmm. Um, Mark, are the risks on copper low enough um, for investors to be comfortable in investing in a single commodity player that's exposed to, to copper? So, I mean, I guess the, the overall view on, on copper is that um, worldwide we're going to consume more copper as we move from a more coal and oil-based um, energy requirement to ESG, more renewables, um, in, including with that um, battery electric vehicles. So that is kind of the view. Um, I think in the shorter term, sort of this year, next year, the, the numbers that I've seen say that copper is in slight oversupply. We've got... Um, we've got the big Keleveco project from Anglo-American still ramping up. Um, oh, and of course, the, what offsets that is the supply risks in Peru with, you know, the, the protests yeah. there. But the, the base case is that there's going to be a slight oversupply in the next two years. So, I mean, that for me says that the, the copper price 
and trying to have hard now and maybe you know can kind of moderate from these levels and typically when when the commodity price is going down it's difficult for the underlying commodity shares to go up even though that they are at these current spot prices they are screening quite cheap mm. um, if that commodity if that copper price goes down they will also go down with it yeah just lastly on uh, the copper story uh, because, because I mean, uh, you have these diversified miners trying to get more exposure on copper and also single commodity miners trying to get in on copper. Is the pie big enough? Because you have so much competition coming through. Is that pie big enough? Um, I suppose it is. But, but, but as Mark said, the moment everybody starts making deals in the commodity space, um, one has to be aware. It's when nobody wants to buy or or when nobody has the money to go and buy somebody else that that commodity shares are normally cheap and um, and associated with that risk is playing is buying a specific entity that is a one metal product because it can go wrong very quickly um, so I'm always more comfortable with having at least a diverse you know a company that's the diverse diversified and to use your term have more pipes yeah all right well let's get to uh questions from our viewers um i want to invest in offshore stocks in the usa do i wait for the rand to get stronger or how does one invest with the rand at current levels mark well i, I guess ideally you would want the rand to be strong stronger so that when you're buying your offshore stocks you're getting them at a better relative price but calling the rand is a, a very difficult uh endeavor indeed. I mean, currently our RAND is, has been strong because our terms of trade have been very good over the last year. So we've been exporting more than we've been importing, which means the flow of money is into the country. Effectively, people are, more people are buying RANDs, which is making the RAND stronger. I mean, as our kind of economy normalizes a bit and uh, given load shedding as well, I mean, I'm not sure that the RAND will continue to strengthen. Um, and we also have our unique political risks as well. So I personally would not recommend trying to time, you know, your, your rand dollar exchange rates. Mm. I think uh, we are now at 1760. It's, it's, it's not that far away from fair value that, it, uh, you know, I wouldn't kind of wait to, to, uh. to, to for a rand movement to take my money if I wanted to buy offshore stocks. Uh, okay. Well, talking about that exposure to offshore stocks uh, in the U.S., any sectors uh, that are whetting your appetite there, Rickus, in the U.S.? Well, in the short term, the one thing that's interesting to me is the logistics side of things. You've just got to take a look at the uh, Dalja Transport Index to, um, to give you an idea. And one can see that um, specifically in-country, in the USA, um, with warehouses starting to fill up again as, as people restock, obviously that's good for... Um, your FedEx, if you if you want to play a big one or something like GXO, which is a transport um, broker, so so in the short term that's an interesting sector. Um, I still think longer term your semiconductor space is very interesting, specifically at either the high or the low end, as China's capability of manufacturing the stuff is being um, pushed out of the market via sanctions from. Um, Europe and the um, and the USA. Yeah. Um, 
I'm just quite interested, uh, Mark, in uh, US tech, because now you have these AI wars going on, particularly between Alphabet and, um, and Microsoft. Uh, how, how much of a boost are you expecting uh, for these AI developments to feed through to the kind of uh, tech decisions that investors will be making? Well, I think it's uh, very, very early days at this point in time. I mean, we have seen um, kind of a big leap forward in, with chat GPT that um, Microsoft has a stake in. So, I mean, that's been very interesting and everybody's enjoyed using or, you know, trying it out. Um, and it's, it's um, the way it presents information in a plain language format is, is quite um, amazing, actually. So, but I mean, I guess the question is, how do they monetize that? I mean, I I've, have read now that you can get a subscription. Um, so you can pay, I think it's $40 a month, if I remember correctly, for a subscription. And that's kind of how they could monetize that model. Um, Google's model is really, they monetize through advertising. So people are paying to have their search results high up on the ranking, on their search result table um, and getting you know, it's kind of uh, elevates the level of your business. So they, their revenue is more uh, ad revenue based. And that's why I guess in the shorter term, people are a little bit worried about um, the, the earnings in Google being, uh, the growth being lower than normal because as the US economy starts to slow down a bit with high mm -hmm. interest rates, what Jerome Powell wants, people will spend less on advertising. And we have seen that start to come through in Google's numbers. Um, I guess, I mean, for us, we own both uh, Microsoft and Google, so <laughs> we're kind of hedging our bets a bit there, I guess, on the AI front. Yeah. I mean, Google's also made a lot of investment into AI, and I think it's probably still too early to see who, who the, the clear winner is going to be. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what happens in the ring. Um, getting into more of the viewers' questions, uh, there's a question here. In what instance should one invest in bonds rather than equities? What's the role of the state of the economy, interest and inflation rates in that decision? Rickus? Well, the, the first obvious answer is that one should be in bonds if you want a, shall we say, a certainty of income because you are buying it at X and you know what you're going to get if you hold it to maturity. Um, as far as when one should do it, obviously, as with any investment, when the price seems reasonable in view of the backdrop to your economic circumstances. So there's, um, it's not an easy answer. And one can say, well, um, what, what are your interest rates look at going forward and base your decision on that? But um, I don't, you know, I don't think there's a golden rule of thumb, Mark. If if you can help with this one, yeah, Mark. Yeah, well, I mean, I also would add that I mean, it depends on what type of return you're looking for. So typically, if you um, have, if you need money, kind of in one or two years, you would want a short-term um, investment, and maybe you want less volatility. So in that case, a short-term um, instrument a bond or even a short-term fixed interest rate type instrument would suit you. If you're investing for the longer term and you're able to to um, withstand, you know, a year where the market overall is down 10 and the market overall is up 10, that kind of um, outcome, but over time, 
you will find that equities have outperformed bonds. Um, so I think it would depend on a few factors. Currently, I mean, you can earn about a 10% return South African bonds. Um, and I mean, our numbers on the equity market, you can earn sort of 13 to 15% if you, you know, hold it through the, through the cycle. So it depends on your time horizon yeah. and the type of return that you're looking for. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into uh, insurance. Sanlam or Old Mutual. Of course, um, this is a sector that's really largely been unloved by investors. But also, you're really seeing uh, the, the kind of movements that they're embarking on in order to find the next levels, the next levers of growth. Um, Rikas, Sanlam or Old Mutual? Well, on a valuation basis, Old Mutual is cheap, but I think it's cheap for a reason because Sunlam's management is better, and not that, not that, not that. Although, again, looking at valuation, Sunlam is not exactly cheap, but longer term, um, considering they spread not only in South Africa but all, but but also um, um, outside the borders of South Africa, I, I'm just more comfortable holding Sunlam than Old Mutual. Um, despite, as I've said, the the relative value um, pointing towards Old Mutual, I just don't think that Old Mutual has got that um, directional growth that Sunlam has demonstrated over, over right. a large number of years. Mark, you seem to be nodding. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that, I mean, on our numbers, Old Mutual does screen more cheaper than Sunlam. Um, I guess that the difference is, like Rika said, I mean, you're looking at Sunlam's has slightly better growth prospects at this point in time, whereas Old Mutual, you're hoping for some kind of value unlock. I mean, there is a lot of value within Old Mutual. Um, I mean, they even have, they already have a bank inside of Old Mutual, and they're, you know, they're speaking now more about um, launching an Old Mutual bank, Yeah. although their timelines are quite uh, pedestrian. So... I guess that's your your toss up. I mean, uh, I think if Old Mutual management get it right, I think that the Old Mutual will do better. But um, yeah, it's uh, there's actually not that much to to choose between the two. So got to go for the either slightly cheaper one with maybe less growth prospects, or someone with better better growth and uh. maybe a better track record. Uh, all right. Um, the, I'm holding a fair amount of Tungela, and now the price of coal has come down quite a bit. Is it time to bail out or hold? My cost was 300 Rand a few weeks ago. Rikas. Huh. Um, <laughs> I think I was on here about two or three days ago, and I said I'm not quite sure what Tungela share price should be. Uh, Technically, I would, I would not like it to go underneath 200 Rand, and that's just looking at a graph. But on the other hand, uh, you know, it's 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 highly geared towards what coal prices are doing. We've had a, I think, about an eight percent increase in um, in uh, Newcastle coal today, and and both Exara and Tungela obviously reacted on that and went up. Um, so one really has to have a outlook first of all on what um, the energy situation is globally. Um, what's going to happen in six or seven months from now when people start restocking specifically as far as natural gas is concerned, what's happening with oil and, and obviously how that affects the other part of the energy um, uh, compendium, which is, which is obviously coal. So at the moment, um, although it, you know, 
obviously fundamentally one can expect a slowdown in earnings earnings coming through from Tengela. The energy market itself is so volatile that um, it's difficult to say this is what Tengela should be trading at, as f at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, uh, Mark, I mean, how much uh, upside or downside do the fundamentals present at this point for Tengela? So for us, um, at this point in time, there's not a lot of upside in Tungela from because of you know the contraction in the thermal coal prices. However, they're sitting on a very large cash pile because over the last uh, year they've had record coal prices and they've been selling into the export market. So, I mean, we are expecting them to declare a 40 rand dividend now um, when they re release their results. So, I mean, if you look at the share price, uh, which I'm not sure exactly what it was, but maybe 280, if you had to take 40 rand off. That's the price that you that you are paying, and on that basis, I think that there still will be upside into these results. Um, longer term, it's difficult to see how the coal prices hold up at these levels. I mean, b before the Russia-Ukraine war, the coal price was about eighty dollars a ton. Um, APR full price out of South Africa now sitting at one hundred and forty or one hundred and fifty. So I think over time that that coal price does have room to go lower which obviously is not great for, for a single commodity producer like uh, Tukela. Ah, all right. Uh, let's get into Purple Group. Uh, there was a sharp decline in the price of the Purple Group shares since Jan 2022. Today, the share price weakened with a further 9.43%. Please ask the panel's opinion about the future prospects of the Purple Group and its share price. Rikus. Okay, I mean, it's... It's an interesting model. They, they they open the market for your smaller investors, so kudos to them. Um, I think their historic price earnings is about 300 plus or something like that. So what I'm doing at the moment, um, I'm, I'm watching it with a lot of interest, but no um, but no position. It. I'm basically just seeing how far it's going to go down. I've got no floor on it or anything like that. Mm. But I suppose at some stage it, it's going to be interesting. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, to me, it's more of a meme stock than anything else at the moment. Yeah, there's actually been uh, quite crazy price action there, uh, declining about 10% on the day. Uh, your thoughts on the prospects of Purple Group, Mark? So, I mean, I, I think it's a, a great business. I just think it's too expensive even now at these share price levels. I mean, it really ran up uh, during uh, COVID and got kind of caught up, um, like Rika said, in the meme stock rally. Um, but it is a nice, it is a great little business. It's just too expensive um, at these share price levels for us. Uh, all right. Well, gentlemen, let's get to your stock picks for today. Rikus, what will it be? Um, it's a company that only recently listed, but um, they were spun out of GlaxoSmithWelcome. So um company's name is Halion, and they are a worldwide um, distributor and manufacturer of over-the-counter medicines. You'll no brand names like Centrament of and Avida and um, and Sensodyne, for example. So in that sense, they are um, quite offensive, and I am quite offensive on the market in general. But um, last set of results, um, they were for forecasting about a six eight percent um, growth in um, revenue plus pretty steady margins. So it's a defensive business. They've they're huge. They're very well established. Um, 
and it ties in with uh, the whole demographic story of the places that they sell into or people are getting older so um, yeah next set of results early March and I, and I expect that to be pretty much in line so not a great growth story but I think a very steady um, mature type of company outlook um, paying off debt at the moment so I would also expect dividend growth to kicking um, at some at some time, the moment they use their very good cash flow to just reduce their debt load a little bit. All right. Mark, what are you hanging your hat on today? Yes, yeah, so I'm buying uh, Standard Bank today. So I think that uh, Mark's going to like uh, the numbers that Standard Bank presents in the next month. Um, we're going to see 25% um, plus growth in, in year-on-year earnings. And I think going forward, Standard Bank has a nice story in that um, it's now Holy owns Liberty, and I think that they will be able to um, release more synergies from that. Um, they're going to be able to uh, reorganize their capital stack a bit, and so they'll have more uh, capital to either deploy in the business or to distribute. Um, also, I think that uh, Standard Bank has quite a lot of um, costs that it can continue to, to optimize. So we've seen quite a nice uh, cost optimization out of NetBank, um, and I think that uh, Standard Bank has quite a lot that it can still do in that respect. So I think over the next few years, um, you know, you could likely to see a 15% return per year and you're getting a 7 to 8% dividend yield. Um, so I think that's a, a great return. And yeah, we like the Standard, the Standard Bank story. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and for your analysis today. My guest, Mark Detoy from Oyster Catcher Investments and Rikas Friedis from PSG Wealth Remsich. Julieta is back with Stockwatch tomorrow night.